Welcome to the 11th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. I'm your host, James Herrick, and today we're going to be doing a full breakdown of UFC Fight Night, Hermanson versus Vittori. And then after that, we're going to move on to some of the latest news in the UFC. And there's a decent chunk of that as this most recent week, we've had a lot of news come out ranging from Habib's retirement to UL Romeo's release from the UFC to further roster cuts to some fight additions, cancellations, suspensions. It's been a busy week for sure. So first off, Jack Hermanson versus Marvin Vittori. And coming into this fight, obviously, everyone knows that Marvin Vittori stepped in to take this fight on short notice after Jack Hermanson had his second opponent pull out of the fight. He was originally scheduled to fight Darren Till. Darren Till pulled out with further complications with his latest knee injury. And then we had Kevin Holland step in for Till. And Holland got COVID, removing him. And Vittori stepped in for today, today, yesterday's fight card. So, Coming into this, we expected this to be a big grappling match between the two as both Vittori and Hermanson are two of the better grapplers in that 185-pound division. But the first two rounds, we saw some grappling action, mostly in the second round and a little bit in the first round, but second round was grappling heavy. Rounds three through five were full striking between the two going back and forth. And overall, this was a great fight. Um, Marvin Vittori looked great. He dropped Hermanson with a big right hand in the first round, then controlled the rest of the round on the ground. Then second round, Hermanson goes for a takedown. Vittori hits a reversal and gets on top and controls the majority of the round on top. After that, Hermanson was able to get round three, and rounds four and five were pretty dominant by Vittori in the striking and I was very int- impressed by Vittori striking in this. He's obviously a great grappler. But in this fight, he showed himself having a great 1-2. And uh, he really he really showed how much pressure he can put on someone. In this fight, he was in her man's... In, except for the third round. The third round was a little different. But for the majority of the fight, when Vittori was in her man's and were on the feet, her man's put a lot of pressure on Vittori, hit him with a lot of 1-2s threw some hooks in there, and was did pretty good in terms of defense striking-wise. He stayed out of range for a lot of Hermanson's ta- attacks, used good head movement to stay out of the way. And I was very impressed by Herman- er, Vittori's performance. Hermanson looked good too, but I was so impressed with Vittori. And after this fight, Vittori's pretty much secured himself a top-five spot. Hermanson was at four, and Yuval Romero was cut. We're going to talk more about that later, but that opens up another spot in that top half rankings for the 185. Hermanson's at four, Romero was at five, so both those guys are going to move out of the top five, and we're likely going to see Marvin Vittori in that top five, probably looking at the four slot. Um, He'll probably just take Hermanson's slot. And then Till will move out to five. Hermanson will move down to six. Something along those lines. So for Vittori, I am very impressed. And he's going to face some top competition in this 185-pound division. The question is, who? And to be honest, I don't think the who really matters too much in this one. 
which is weird, but I think this is a unique situation for Vittori where he looks so good in this fight that we can really put him against anyone in that top half of the 185 division, and you can sell that fight to the fans, and it'll be a fun fight to watch. So the names that we have here at the top of the division, Whitaker, Costa, and Cannonier, those are the guys who are ahead, uh, excluding Izzy, obviously. Izzy's moving up to 205 to take on Jan for the 205 belt. So we're going to leave Izzy out of this one for now. But we have Whitaker, Costa, and Cannonier, who will likely be ahead of a Tory. Cannonier did tear, or excuse me, did break his arm. So Cannonier is going to be out for a while, so I don't predict that he gets the Cannonier matchup. I think we're going to be looking at either Costa or Whitaker, and we're really unsure on when either of those guys are looking to get back into action. Vittori didn't give a time frame for when he wanted to return, so I really think in this situation it's just whichever guys that we decide to match up out of Whitaker, Costa, and Vittori, however that frames up. I think those are all interesting match matches. Just uh, get the time frame right on these guys, and we should have some interesting matchups. For Hermanson, I don't want to see him slide too much in these rankings. He should probably only drop to uh, probably five. At worst case scenario, he drops to six and gets hot by Till. Really, Till and Hermanson, very close in the rankings. Their last win is both against Kelvin Gastelum. So, Either way, you want to put them, they're pretty interchangeable. I think that Hermanson versus Till matchup is still a matchup we can make. Till is going to return at the beginning of next year, so it might be a little early for Hermanson, but that is not something to shy away from. So we also have Derek Brunson, who Derek Brunson would be an interesting matchup for both Till and Hermanson. I would like to see Hermanson versus Brunson. That'd be a fun grappling matchup. I think it'd be very similar to Vittori versus Hermanson, except for I think Vittori's a little better on the feet in comparison to Brunson, possibly a lot better considering how well he striked last night. But so for this 185-pound division, I see a lot of uh, fun matchups here in that top half of the division. And in terms of the bottom half, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the bottom half of this division. I think we're going to see some movement here soon. We have Gastelum versus um, Heinrich booked. So we're going to see how that match plays out. And obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more cuts, especially out of this 185-pound division. I'm going to talk about the cuts in full later. But I think that this 185-pound division could get hit strong by some cuts. Guys like Weidman, guys like... Rockhold, who Rockhold's looking to return. These types of guys are going to be guys the UFC could possibly cut. I'm going to talk more in-depth about who I think are some potential guys who could get cut, some notable names. So we'll talk about that later. But I think there will be a lot of movement in this 185-pound division for the next three months specifically. Moving on in the co-main, we had Jamal Hill versus Ovint St. Prue. So we had a very interesting matchup here. It was mainly your stereotypical grappler versus striker. And I was interested to see how Jamal Hill would do in terms of takedown defense and going against a amazing grappler like Ovince. But surprisingly, Ovince did not really push for takedowns. He didn't do much in terms of trying to get this fight to the ground. 
and it stayed on the feet. And while it was on the feet, Jamal Hill touched him up. Jamal Hill also has a great one, too. He throws a really nice right hand, very long, good at understanding reach. That's a big thing, is reach doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to use reach. But I think last night, Jamal Hill shows that he knows how to use his length to his advantage. He caught several kicks by Ovince and returned with hooks after he caught kicks, which is something I like to see. He probably needs to work on defending low kicks a little better, but that's something that comes. But he did show toughness getting through those leg kicks of Ovince and eventually finishing the fight. And when he was in a finishing sequence, he looked very well. He stayed composed, didn't rush, and really showed good finishing instincts. Finishing instincts are something I like to see out of anyone who's looking to get themselves in the rankings. The ability to know how and in what way to finish a fight, that is an extremely great skill to have because we see very often guys who don't have that skill fights take longer than needed to be finished and anything can happen in a fight. So when you have a guy on the ropes, the ability to put him away soundly is a great skill to have and that's something that Jamal Jamal Hill showed that he has. So in this for Jamal Hill, I'm very excited to see what is next for his career. He will likely move into the top 15 for the first time in his career. He'll probably take Ovince's spot at 15 and really There's a lot of fun matchups here for Jamal Hill. I'd like to see him against Ryan Spann. I know that he was scheduled to fight Misha Kirkinoff. That fight got pulled. Undisclosed why. So if they're able, but they are looking to rebook Misha versus Spann. So if that fight falls through, I'd like to see Jamal Hill versus either of those guys. If that, um, if that does not fall through, there's so many names this light heavyweight division that I'd like to see Jamal Hill fight. Whether that's Jimmy Crute, I think that'd be a fun one, but I don't think that that's a likely uh, matchup to see right now. I think we'll see that down the road, but it doesn't really make sense for the UFC to put two of their brighter prospects against each other this early in their career. Um, this 10 to 15 for the light heavyweight division doesn't have a lot of guys that you usually throw in a prospect against. So like, for example, the 185 division, you have Brad Tavares and you have Chris Weidman, who are two guys who we usually see someone you would throw a prospect against them. You can gauge the prospect's abilities, which is something that uh, the UFC did with Ovince right now. But moving into the top 15, that doesn't really put much of those guys left in that division we have a lot of young and -and up-and-comers in this light heavyweight top 15 so we're either going to have to find a way to get these prospects matched up with some veterans so they can prove themselves or they're going to have to fight each other and historically the UFC doesn't like to put these prospects in this range against each other so I'm going to be very interested to see what they do in terms of pairing some of these guys up you still have Megomed Ankalev, Jimmy Crute, Paul Craig so you know these 10 to 15 guys in this light heavyweight division that are in this skill set we're going to get some of these guys matched up against each other and it's going to be some fun fights and within the next six months we're going to know who is real in terms of being a prospect and who is pretending to be a prospect. Moving on, we had one of the best performances, in my opinion, off this fight card was Ila Teporia. He went went out there and he looked amazing. He got the finish. And 
Elaw was someone who coming in, he was obviously undefeated before this fight. And coming in, he's fighting Damon Jackson, who is a very respected fighter as well. And coming into this, he was looked at as a big uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, um, decorated grappler. And in his last fight, his previous fight to this, which was not too long ago, he really used his ground capabilities and won that fight. But in this fight, we never saw the fight hit the ground. And Toporia showed that he can strike as well as grapple, which is something that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. But he kept this fight on the feet, the entirety of it. And he ended the fight by landing a big right hand, stunned uh, Jackson. And then after that, he followed up with a shot to the body. Then the body shot hit him right in the kidney, folded Damon Jackson. Then he went back up to the head with an uppercut hook combo. So Taporia here, I just talked about this with Jamal Hill, the ability to show you know how to finish a fight. Taporia showed that exactly. He went out there, landed a big shot, and then said, okay, time to finish. And then he didn't head hunt. He went to the body, landed a big body shot, opened up the head, landed a big combo, like I previously said, uppercut hook, and put Damon Jackson down. And Eli Taporia is the real deal. He's an elite grappler, and he showed last night that he's an elite striker. This isn't someone who just went out there and landed a couple lucky shots. All night, his striking looked great, even outside of this finishing sequence. And in this finishing sequence, you saw a lot of technique. He wasn't finishing this fight with raw power, which he does have power, but he finished it with the technique and speed, which are things that great strikers have, and he showed that he has that. So not only is he he's a quality striker and grappler, so I think he's going to really make a name for himself in this 145-pound division. And I feel like once every three or four weeks, we sit here and we talk about potential prospects that we see in this 145-pound division. And this division, this featherweight division is growing fast. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Hakeem Dawadu, who's fighting uh, Shane Burgos, I believe, to get himself in those rankings. We have Taporia now, who's probably shown that he deserves to fight someone for a spot in the top 15, maybe. In worst case scenario, he's got one more fight before that. So we're really having a lot of bright prospects come up in this 145-pound division with some still some veterans in that division. You've still got Barbosa, And then you have Bryce Mitchell, who's another great prospect, who's an amazing grappler. One of the best grapplers in that division, for sure. Possibly the best. Ryan Hall, another guy. Great prospect. Probably the best grappler. Bryce Mitchell close behind him, but I think Ryan Hall edges out Bryce Mitchell a little bit. So in terms of best grappler in that division, you probably have to give it to Hall. But you don't see guys like Ryan Hall and Bryce Mitchell with their grappling abilities this low in rankings often. And that just goes to show the depth of that 145-pound division. You've got Sadiq Youssef, Dan Ige, Shane Burgos, and then Jeremy Stevens, Arnold Allen, Josh Emmett. And these aren't even the guys of the top of these rankings. If the if the 145-pound division can continue on this trajectory of finding new and great prospects and some with to pair with their strong veterans, that division could make a run at the 155-pound division for the title of best division in the UFC. I think it's going to eventually be close. But 
we're going to have to wait and see how some of these prospects turn out in the near future. And there were a couple of other finishes that I wanted to talk about. Some guys who look good. I'm not going to go too in-depth for them, but they looked well enough to the point where I have to mention them. Gabriel Benitez looked great. Some great low kicks from Benitez. And eventually finished Justin James with a knee to the body. So he looked great. Also, we had Jordan Levitt. I'm sure most of you probably saw his slam finish that he had. Really scary finish, but... Matt Wyman is okay. So a great performance by Levitt. And he is another young prospect that has looked great recently. And in terms of cuts, we're talking about how the UFC is looking at cutting some guys. It's uh, likely that Matt Wyman is probably going to be one of those cuts. And if he's not one of those cuts, he would be looking at probably retirement. So it's either retirement or cut is what it's looking at like for Wyman. And at the light heavyweight, we had Roman Dolice, who had a very dominant performance over John Allen. And that's another guy in that light heavyweight division who has proven himself to be a strong prospect. He's a little bit further out than some of the aforementioned guys like Jamal Hill. So, But he is no, he's, he's no one to mess around with. And I'm sure he'll be having a crack at the top 15 eventually. So now we're going to move on to some of the news portion of today's episode, and there's a lot of it. First, I want to start off with Habib. Habib has been in the news very frequently over the last week, and it seems like every week Habib does something, and I'm sitting here talking about Habib and whether he's retired or not. So for Habib, Habib, two things that Habib has done. He First off, he purchased, he, he purchased Guerrilla Fighting Championship, and he has renamed that the Eagle Fighting Championship. And they are working with the UFC to get that on Fight Pass. It's looking like it's going to start in Russia. It was a Russian promotion. So Habib has purchased that for a million dollars. And he is working to use that as probably a a low lower level league. It's probably going to be similar to the LFA in the terms of you see guys fighting on this, and then they eventually moved to the UFC, the Contender Series, the Ultimate Fighter. So I feel like it's going to be the Russian version of the LFA. Right now, the LFA is largely in the United States. So it's going to probably fill in for those types of guys like, for or those types of organizations like Cage Warriors, LFA. So it'll probably one of the be the largest filler leagues to the UFC. Obviously, Cage Warriors controls a lot of that European market. LFA controls a lot of the North American market. And I expect that this Eagle Fighting Championship will control a large portion of that Russian market and probably some of the Middle Eastern market as well. And largely, that is something that I'm not I'm slightly surprised about that Khabib would do that, but in hindsight, it does make sense as he is big. He has always been big in terms of bringing up younger fighters. He's a lot of these guys that he's he's helped get them to the UFC in terms of, you know, calling Dana, you know, introducing Dana to these prospects and getting these guys signed. A lot of these Dagestani guys. So he's going to start his own promotion where he's probably going to have a lot of these guys fight, prove themselves and eventually move on to the UFC. Habib has also 
announced that he is going to attempt to get mixed martial arts into the Olympics by 2022. He has a plan and he's going to meet with the Olympic Committee to try and, to try and get MMA an Olympic, as an Olympic recognized sport. And I'm really interested to see how this plays out. I'm not going to talk too much in depth about it because I'm not high in knowledge about the Olympics and how you get a sport in the Olympics. I know the basics, but not enough to in-depth talk about it. But I know as of right now, the MMA MMA has a lot of hurdles to jump through in terms of repetition, in terms of competition. You know, you, you'd have to fight several times in a week, which is a very tough thing to do in terms of Olympics being amateur in like it would be for it is with boxing and amateur MMA is not recognized until 18 in America and it's different for every country in terms of when you can be recognized as an amateur so I'm very interested to see how Khabib handles this and it's going to be an uphill battle to get MMA in the Olympics but there is a shot so we're just going to have to wait and see how this one turns out the last piece of news from Habib is he said that he would return to the UFC if his mother gave him his blessing to return to the UFC. So basically, if Habib's mother says you can go and and give it one last one last fight to get to 30 and 0, you can you can do that. Which is something I'm not surprised about because his mother seemed to be the main reason he retired. So, that puts a lot of lot of pressure on her specifically to determine if he can return so I guess we're just gonna have to sit this out and wait to see if if Habib returns and the chances that we learn this news anytime soon is unlikely as we'd have to wait until at least after the Connor and Poirier card before we get anywhere closer we also have Tony versus Charles Oliveira next weekend so Tony and Connor are the two likely guys that he would return against. So we would really just have to wait and see how both of those fights pan out to determine before we can determine anything else. Moving on, we had Clarissa Shields announced that she is making the move to MMA. She is the number one pound for pound boxer. And she is officially signed with the PFL and by this move, I was surprised that she chose the PFL because I thought she was she could have probably signed with Bellator or the UFC. Obviously, the UFC is looking for cuts right now, so they're probably not in a position to sign someone of Clarissa Shields' status. But I'm surprised Bellator didn't make this push as they're doing this with many other people in terms of signing young prospects who looked very well. And... For Clarissa, um, she might have preferred PFL simply off the fact that it'd be easier tra to transition to the UFC if that is her end goal. When you're in Bellator, it's a little bit harder to make that transition. And it sounds like she wants that fight against Amanda Nunes. So by going to the PFL, she leaves more options open in terms of being able to fight for that million-dollar season award from the PFL and then eventually make a move to the UFC. And the thing that I've liked most about this Clarissa Shields moving to MMA is that a lot of time boxers don't recognize the ability it takes to fight in MMA and think they can get it done purely with their boxing. Clarissa has been training for over a year already. She doesn't plan on, she plans on fighting early 
of 2021 and doesn't plan on she really plans on taking it slow against pro, she wants to fight other young fighters prospects she's not being thrown directly into the deep end she said she's doing a lot of work in wrestling and grappling and she's training at jackson wink right now so that's probably a good spot for her she's been training with john jones at wink so i'm excited to see how this goes for someone who has elite boxing the best female boxer in the world by a large margin, many think. So it's going to be interesting to see how she adapts and how good she can get her grappling kicks. Uh, range management changes a lot when you go from MMA to boxing. So we're gonna be, I'm gonna be very interested to see how that works for Clarissa. But she seems determined, and she seems like she is. She seems like she's approaching this the right way that any boxer who is transitioning into MMA should take it slow and working on the grappling and some additional striking so all due respect to Clarissa and I think if Amanda Nunes is still in the sport in 2020 late 2021 early 2022 we could possibly see Shields versus Nunes could be one of the biggest fights of Amanda Nunes's career so I'm going to be very interested and keep an eye on Clarissa Shields's development greatly and then we have Another fight cancellation, which would be Leon Edwards versus Hazmat Chimaev. That fight was supposed to headline the final fight or the final card of the year. That is looking to be moved to January. It sounds like they're looking, they're not looking for another opponent against Chimaev. They're instead looking to rebook this Edwards fight. It looks like something that they want to do. So um, really not too much on that. The last card of the year is December 19th, I believe, 18th or 19th, whichever the Saturday is. So that card is strong enough to uh, lose the main event and still have a solid fight night card. So as the headliner, we will have Wonderboy Thompson versus Geoff Neal. So we're not losing too much. We still have a very good main event to look forward to. And then another fight that got scrapped was Men Menel Cape versus Alexandre Pantoja, which was supposed to be on that same card as Edwards and Chimaev. So that fight also got canceled, which I was really disappointed in this one, as I think if Cape can go out there and give a good performance in his debut, he can be put right in a title shot. He was the rising champion. He has been signed by the UFC. Big addition for them, and I think he is probably the only guy I see at that 125-pound division who has a chance to beat Davison Figueredo at the current moment. So I'd like to see him in there against Figueredo eventually. And on that note, he is now the backup fighter for UFC 256 next weekend. So if something happens in between now and and Saturday, say Figueredo or Brandon Moreno have get say get COVID or can't make weight, Manuel Cape will step in and fight either of them. So that isn't good news for Cape that they're keeping him active. Um, and if this if this um, main event stays intact and Cape does not have to step in, he would likely be fighting next year. And if he can win that. He would put himself in a good position to get a title shot against Figueredo, the only other guy who would be earning of that or would be um, would deserve that title shot would be Cody Garbrandt if he does make that move down 
and when he gets healthy is going to be a big question mark. So if he can get his debut, we're going to have an interesting conversation looking forward on who fights Figueredo next. So that should be interesting, and that is assuming that Figueredo is able to beat Moreno on Saturday, which I predict that he will. Many people predict that he will. Figueredo has just looked too good in his last couple matches to see anyone beating him anytime soon other than Cape and Garbrandt. So moving on, that January schedule is really heating up. We've seen a lot of fights recently get scrapped, and they're saying, we're going to move it to January, we're going to move it to February. So that January cards are going probably going to probably be very good cards. We already have Holloway versus Cater and Poirier versus McGregor booked. And they're looking to do a Wednesday card in between those two. So as of right now, we have Edwards versus Chimaev and we have Blades versus Lewis. They're looking to book, book both of those fights for January. I imagine one of them will headline the Wednesday card in between Holloway Cater and Poirier McGregor. And then one of them could likely go on that UFC um, 257 card with Poirier and McGregor. So to make that card a a strong pay-per-view. Anytime you have McGregor, it's going to be a very, very good pay-per-view. But when you add someone like Derek Lewis fighting Curtis Blades, that just makes the pay-per-view stronger. It was already looking like a strong pay-per-view. Adding another fight on that would be a good addition. Worst case scenario, it's, it headlines the fight night the week after. So we have also seen recently Yair Rodriguez has been suspended by USADA for six months for whereabout violations. Now, a whereabout violation is USADA has the ability to test you pretty much whenever. So you are liable to tell USADA when, when you're somewhere, where you are. You pretty much have to give them access to your location 24-7 to allow them to come drug test you. And USADA knows that, hey, it's very, unli- it's very uh, unreasonable to, to force people to do this constantly. So if something happens that well, you're not at the place you said you are, someone made it, makes a mistake, you get three strikes before you're, sus- you're suspended. Usually we don't see this being an issue for most guys, but Yair did get that third right strike, and you get three strikes a year. So they resets at uh, each year, but he was suspended six months after he received that third strike from USADA for a whereabouts suspension. And that seems that it has been the official date for when the ooh, the official date for when the suspension starts has not been announced. It's looking like it's going to be October. So. Early next year, we will see Yair return. So we're going to have a big question about who he faces. The UFC is still not announced. Dana was even asked this, whether they're still going to look to book Zabit versus Yair for when he can return. Dana was unsure. So Zabit is really the loser in all of this. He was supposed to fight Yair, and if he beats Yair, he's got himself in a good position for a title shot. But obviously, Yair has done just about everything but fight Zabit. This has been, this fight's been a tough one to make. This has been, the year's pulled out several times, I believe. I think Zabit has pulled out once. So it's been really a tough one for the UFC to try and book. So if the UFC should probably just move on from this one, put Zabit against anybody just to get him back in there and get him active again. And then now we're going to talk about the roster cuts. These roster cuts, Dana said that the UFC is going to have to cut 
probably about 60 to 75 guys. So we're going to be very um, watching closely for who gets cut because they did just cut Yoel Romero. So if you're willing to cut Yoel Romero, that means you're willing to cut just about everybody. I can't imagine that. any Yoel will probably be the biggest domino, I'm assuming. I can't imagine that they cut anyone bigger than Yoel. I think the reason they went with Yoel is he is 44, and he has won one of his last five, I believe. But everyone knows that he has faced top-tier competition. Uh, Whitaker twice, Adesanya once out of those out of his last losses. So for Yoel, I think I think we are. It's kind of it makes sense in a way, but at the same time, no one ever wants to see Yoel lose or removed from the UFC. Yeah, he's won one of his last five with a loss to Whitaker, Costa, two losses to Whitaker, one to Costa, one to Israel. And some people believe that he beat Costa. And that's a opinion that you you could make that argument that he beat Costa. It was a very close fight. Whatever your opinion is on that, you have that opinion. But for UL, obviously 44, the age is probably the main reason. And then when he loses four of his last five, it's easier to justify him getting cut no matter who he lost to. So for for UL, this is, he's probably going, I, he hasn't announced where he's signing yet next. Probably Bellator. If Bellator was smart, they would offer UL Romero a lot of money to come fight in Bellator simply off the fact that though they'd give him a title shot right away against Douglas Lima. If Douglas Lima beats him, they can talk about how good Douglas Lima is and make Lima look any even better. And if Yoel wins, then you have Yoel Romero as a champion and he'd be their largest pay-per-view draw by a mile. By a long mile, Yoel would be their largest pay-per-view draw. Even if he isn't a champion, he would be their largest pay-per-view draw. Getting a championship would just make that even stronger for Bellator. So we're going. I'm probably looking like he's going to go to Bellator. Maybe he doesn't. If I had to guess, I would say Bellator. I, you, we've seen guys offer sign with PFL recently, so I wouldn't be surprised if P, PFL either. But Bellator would probably be the smartest place for both UL and Bellator. I wouldn't be surprised if the PFL offers him a lot of money either. The PFL has signed notable people as of recently. They signed Fabricio Verdum recently. They signed. Um, Clarissa Shields, we talked about that earlier. So they've done good with signing fighters. So it's going to be very interesting to see where this free agency takes UL Romero. And the UFC said that they were going to cut about 75 fighters. Dana said last night that they were cutting about 60. So it sounds like they've already cut a decent patch of fighters. We've seen this coming for a while, but we haven't even realized exactly. It was happening right in front of us, but no one really realized what was going on. Yoel was cut, and then the springs kind of, or the the light bulb finally went off, and we realized that we were going to see a large portion of fighters get cut. And the UFC is cutting 60 more out of their 700 and something fighters. So it is a large chunk, and we are going to see a lot of guys go. We saw Anderson Silva got cut. So we've been seeing Formiga got cut. So we've been seeing these these chips been have been getting put in place recently and now they're starting to uh it's all starting to come together now with these cuts who now the question is who is going to get cut next the chances are we're not done seeing big names get cut 
and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, we've seen probably the biggest names. I think there's going to be a couple more big names that get cut. My predictions for who gets cut right now, I think guys like Edson Barbosa. Barbosa's 15th in that in that featherweight division. As we talked about earlier, that featherweight division is strong. So if you lose Barbosa out of that division, you're still in a position to have a very strong division without him. And Edson did ask for his release earlier this year. So, and he's been looking to stay very active. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC and Edson Barbosa part ways. Some other fighters, I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone, a couple of these 185 pounders go. I already said Chris Weidman earlier. Chris Weidman probably gets paid a large portion because of, because he was a former champion and he is a notable name, but his skill just isn't as isn't there as much as it was previously. So for for Weidman, I wouldn't be surprised if he got the call and he got cut. There's going to be a couple of other guys, big name guys. Anthony Pettis, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go. He's another guy in the same situation, used to be a champion, gets big paydays, and he's just not as good as he was before. So for a lot of these guys, it's probably going to come down to their willingness to renegotiate from their high-level paydays that they've been getting. For Pettis, this is going to be a big fight for him this weekend against Alex Moreno. If he wins, he's more likely to stay in the UFC. But if you lose to Alex Moreno, the chances of you getting cut are fairly, fairly high. And that's probably why the UFC has put him against someone like Moreno. Because if you lose to if you lose to Alex Moreno, you know, Anthony Pettis is going to have to sit down and think about his career going forward. And the chances of him staying in the UFC after a loss like that are not great. Someone like Robbie Lawler in a similar similar position of big name gets paid good good amounts and he just isn't the same fighter he previously was. And then moving on from that, someone like Mike Perry, um, a lot of these older guys as well. Don, your Donald Cerrone's, your Clay Guida's, your Diego Sanchez's. I think a lot of these guys are either going to get cut or retired. I think we're going to see a lot of guys get pushed to retire. Someone like Shogun Hua could, you know, get pushed to retire or released. So I think we're going to see a lot of guys either retire or released very soon. And Dana said by the end of the year, I think a large portion of these names that we see cut are going to be non-recognizable names, guys who have, you know, less than three fights in the UFC and haven't really done much for themselves that are on a losing record. So, but I think with that being said, there's going to be a couple of big names that we see that uh, get cut here in the near future. So we're going to have to keep our eye out for that, for guys getting cut, some of these big name guys. And some of those fighters that I just listed are some guys that I think the UFC would be willing to step away from based solely off, you know, how much they get paid and how much they're producing. Guys like Pettis, Lawler, Cerrone haven't looked particularly great in their most recent performances, and they get paid good amounts because of the things they've done for the company in the past. So those are the type of big-name guys that I would expect to, you know, get cut. I wouldn't expect to see anyone who's, you know, performing at a high level currently get cut. I think Yoel Romero is probably, Yoel and Formiga are probably going to be the two guys that still had 
title aspirations. I know Formiga lost a couple, UL lost a couple, but those are probably those will probably be my I foresee that those are the two most skilled fighters that get cut. I don't think it's going to get any worse than this, and likely likely everyone else in the top five. UL was ranked five. I don't see anyone else in the top five getting cut. So the chances of that happening are not strong. So moving on, that is all I wanted to talk about for breaking news. So now we're going to be looking at the UFC 256 fight card, and I'm going to be talking about a little bit about that. Starting off, we have the main event, Divison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. Now, I have been open about this on this podcast. I think Divison Figueredo is the most talented flyweight by a mile right now. And I said it earlier, I think the only guys who compete with him are Manel Cape and possibly Cody Garbrandt. But I still see Garbrandt being um, not having the strongest chin and not being a f- not fully being his former self. So I think Formiga or excuse me, Figueredo would be able to get that fight against Garbrandt handled. And then Cape, I'd like to see how he performs in the UFC. He looked great in his last couple fights for Ryzen. I'd be really interested to see how he performs in his first UFC fight. And uh, if he does well, I think he would have the best shot at beating Figueredo at, at 125. But for Brandon Moreno this weekend, I don't imagine that he is going to be able to beat Figueredo. Figueredo. I just think that I just think that Figgy's too good on, I think he's the better striker. I think he's the more powerful between the two. As much as I like Moreno too, nothing against Moreno. But I just think Figueredo is a different level at, at currently. For Figgy, he, he's powerful on the feet. He's more powerful on the feet, and he's a far better grappler. I think if this fight goes to the ground, we're going to see similar to the Alex Perez fight where we see a quick submission. And if it stays on the feet, I think we're going to see similar to what happened to Benavidez on the feet. So um, I think Figueredo takes this. I see this. I I see a TKO here for Figgy. I think he he could really end this fight either TKO or submission, and it'd be very reasonable and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all, but something in me just says TKO. I think he's going to try and the last fight he proved that he's got the grappling. I think this fight he's going to come out and say, oh, I've got the striking too. So I think he's going to finish this TKO. I think it's going to be late first round, maybe early second round. I lean towards a uh, lean towards a second round. For this, for the co-main event, we have Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. This is a fun fight. This is pretty much Tony Ferguson versus Tony Ferguson 2.0. Both guys are great submission artists off their back, and they are very good strikers. Use unorthodox, unorthodox striking to really uh, to and push push the pace pace, and they use unorthodox striking. But I do think Tony Ferguson is going to come back and get this win. He looks very determined. Um, in his recent videos, he's been training hard. And he seems like he's in good spirits after that Gagey loss. I just think Tony Ferguson is on a different level. I think Charles Oliveira is someone someone who has a bright future in this lightweight division. But I just think this is a test to a different degree when you're fighting Tony Ferguson. I think Tony, Tony Ferguson goes out there, gets it done. I think he TKOs Oliveira probably late third round. I imagine Ferguson puts a high pace on 
um, Oliveira and eventually uh, pushes him a little too far and gets that TKO. But I do think this is going to be a fun fight. And I think after this fight, either way this goes, we're going to be impressed by both guys' performances. And both of them are going to prove that they're elite lightweight fighters. And But I do lean towards Tony Ferguson with a late TKO stoppage. And then the other fights on this main card that are really standing out to me, we have Kevin Holland versus Jacare. Now, this is going to be an interesting matchup. Jacare is obviously one of the best grapplers in this division, but Kevin Holland has been on a hot streak recently. I think Kevin Holland is able to get this done. He's just looked too good in his last couple of th- fights. If this stays on the feet, I think uh, Holland is able to will be able to keep this on the feet, and I think he will KO Jacare in we'll say round round two here. And then we have JDS versus Surreal Gain. Gain is one of the best prospects in the heavyweight division. The question is, is his experience? He's six and zero right now. JDS is twenty one and eight, and he's obviously one of the legends of the sport. And this is another fight that we could see both these fights actually. So are Jacare versus JD and JDS. If they're not able to win these fights, they could both be on the chopping block of those cuts. It all depends on how many big names the UFC is looking to cut. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jacare or JDS are done in the UFC if they're not able to win these. And with that being said, I think uh, Gain goes out there and uh, really proves himself. He's an elite striker. I think he gets it done on the feet, and I think he KOs JDS. Moving on to the prelims. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but we do have Mackenzie Dern fighting. Uh, Mackenzie Dern is one of the brightest prospects prospects in that women's strawweight division, and I think she goes out there, gets submission round one. She's an elite BJJ artist, one of the best in the world. Cub Swanson is also also back this weekend against Danielle Pinilla. And Cub, this I think this is going to be a close match. I lean to I lean towards Cub on the experience standpoint, and I hope he can get back in the win column here. And then we have Gavin Tucker versus Billy Quarantillo. Both these guys, these guys too, two great featherweight fighters coming at, not even in the top 15, but these guys both here have two. Two guys with a lot of potential. I think we're going to see a dogfight here. I lean towards Quarantillo getting the win. But with that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if Gavin Tucker is able to pull it off. I'll go Billy by decision. Then we have Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill. Angela Hill's record is, you know, she's a way better fighter than her record says. I think Angela Hill... She's looked great in her last couple of performances. Even when she doesn't win, you could make an argument that she did win. She's been on the, the wrong end of a lot of decisions. I think she goes out there and beats beats Torres, uh, probably by decision. And then we have a couple other fun fights here. We have Lee Jing, Jingliang and Dwight Grant. Carl Robertson is on the early prelims. So overall, this UFC 256 card is going to be a fun one. You don't want to miss that one. Yeah, I wouldn't want to miss any of the fights on these cards. We have bright prospects. We have some older veterans. I think it's going to be a very, a very, very, very good card here. I'll give some predictions for fight of the night and things like that right now. I think fight of the night, I think we're going to give, see that one go to 
Fight of the night is probably going to be Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. I think that Gavin Tucker versus Billy Quarantillo is going to be a close second. I see Dern getting a submission of the night bonus. And I see Fig- Figueredo getting a KO of the night bonus. And then um, the last bonus, well, that would be all the bonuses because Fight of the Night gives two. But I think we're going to see good performances from uh, Luchimbata as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and earns himself um, a bonus. So, a lot of these fights, a lot of fun fights. The UFC was able to fill this card with fun fights due to Figueredo doesn't have a large name value. Tony Ferguson has large name value, name value in the co-main. But Figgy is actively making a name for himself. And they were able to fill this card with fun fights, young prospects, veterans, overall very good card for UFC 256. Not not as big of a bang as we saw last year in terms of going out on pay-per-views. Last year we had the three title fight in December pay-per-view card. But I think this is going to be a very good card just based off the quality of fights. Not as much big name, not as much um, impact in these fights. But um, I do see this being a very fun card. I wouldn't want to miss a fight on these and another thing I want to say relating back to the cuts before we get out of here is for a lot of these fighters, a lot of these fights are going to be very important for them in terms of their their status in the company. If you're a fighter in these last two weeks who have who you're on a losing streak, if you've been um, if you've been struggling, I think uh, if you go out there and lose, you your time in the UFC might be coming to an end. So, especially someone like. Jacare, Jacare's lost to Jan Blachowicz and Jacker Manson and in within the last years. So and you know, he's got a, he does have wins over Brunson and Weidman, but guys like Jacare, guys like JDS, I see a lot of and some of these younger guys on uh, the prelims and stuff. These are going to be inf- important fights in terms of, you know, you you moving your career forward in the UFC. So I'm going to be very interested to see how these cuts, these cuts play out in the next, in the next probably going to be the next three and four weeks, to the end of the year, possibly leaking into January. So I'm going to be very interested to see how these cuts play out. These cuts and um, these fights within the next two weeks, they're going to make it for a lot of news, a lot of, a lot of uh, movement in the rankings. So we're going to see a lot happen in the next two weeks. So keep your eye out for that. And I will be back next week breaking down any more cuts and the fights from this week's fight card. So thank you for turning, tuning in this week to the Head Kick KO podcast. And please come back next week and watch another. Thank you.